0: glad we did this. I got some great pieces. You did. I did too. I'm glad we did this too. And I really like the idea to have weekly get-togethers. I think that's a great idea. I know. So this week, we'll do my house. I have the sitter coming at 6. So we'll eat, and then we'll you know, figure out what book we want to study. I think we should start with C.S. Lewis, because he loved beer, and I feel like the guys will be into that. Yes, perfect. <laughs> and then in two weeks, we'll do my house again. And I already emailed the nanny, and she said she's fine with all of the kids. That's great. I want to know, what do you think about me making Indian food? Oh, not too spicy. I am from the Midwest. You're very delicate. I am very delicate. And then we can just keep switching off all the way till spring break. What should we invite? Mm. I was thinking the Freemans. I love them. That's great. Invite them. And the Swishers. <gasps> Done. Perfect. So I'm going nice. to make calls. OK, good. Here we are, home sweet home. I'm going to help you load your car with all of your treasures. Great. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Loved it. Road trip! Road trip! great road trip, man, yeah, buddy. Hey, thanks for turning 40 before me. You're welcome. Thanks for looking, uh, older than me. Do it yeah, exactly. Um, hey man, you want to get together next week? Yeah, awesome. Cool. Cool. I'll cool. well, see you. <laughs> so much truth in that video. So much truth. Well, welcome to Renaissance. My name is Chris, and it's good to have all of you here today. We're in week wi- five. Wive. I'm not even sure what that word is. Week five of the series called Road Trip. And for some reason, if you've missed any of these weeks, or maybe it's your first time here, today, uh, I just encourage you to go uh, to renaissancechurch.org, click on messages, and you can watch, listen to, subscribe to the podcast from all of our previous messages, and uh, so just want to invite you uh, to go and check that out, and uh, this whole series has been about uh, talking about the foundations of a Christian life, and uh, week one, we looked at the Bible being our roadmap, our GPS, and it's how we know God and know what God wants for us and from us. We then uh, talked about prayer, and prayer is our primary uh, kind of communication vehicle to have a conversation with God. We then looked at uh, serving, and, and James so simply put that faith and deeds or faith and actions, they go together. Your, your actions, they, they don't save you, but your actions are just this, this, the, the overflow of the faith, of your faith working out within you, living out. Last week we looked at giving, and uh, we went all the way back to Genesis uh, chapter 4 with Cain and Abel and how Abel came to God, and he worshiped God by giving God his first, his fat portions, and, uh, and, and also Abel trusted God that when, when, when he gave God his first, his best, that God would fill in that gap. And that's what God wants from us, to worship him with our best but also trust, rely that God will fill in that that gap. And then we come to this week. And and as we put this series together, we, we had a pretty in-depth conversation that about do we take week five and put week five as week number one? Should we kick off this entire series with this week? Because this week is all about going on a road trip together. It's about relationships is about not being by yourself not in isolation but the power of experiencing this together you see on a road trip you get to see a a lot of great sights but when you think about some of the most amazing experiences on vacation or on a road trip it's usually tied around the people that you get to experience that with I think back to June of 2010 good friend of mine Jeff invited me to go to Moab, Utah. Moab is like the Mecca of mountain biking. You know, people from around the world want to get to Moab because it's some of the the most amazing single-track trails you could ever imagine. And he asked me to go with him and his his college roommate and one of his college roommate's friends. There was going to be four of us. And just like, hey, you need to come. It's going to be an amazing five-day, he called it a vacation. I'm like, that was, it was way too much work to be called a vacation, but five days and we were going to ride four of the, out of the five and it was great because I owned a mountain bike and I had ridden my mountain bike, but never on a mountain before, but I, I, I had those two things and so I went and uh, I tell you, what we experienced, what we saw, I saw some of the most amazing landscape, rock formations, I mean, sleeping out underneath the stars, the moon rising These moments where you just were in awe of God's creation. I rode some of the most technical single-track trails and literally surprised that there was moments where I literally thought I was going to die. And I'm like, this is going to be awkward for my wife. (laughs) But here's what I remember most about those five days. All these moments tied relationally into this group of guys yeah i think about slick rock the first day as i sat on top of this kind of mountain ridge and looked down where i was supposed to ride and i'm just looking down at this descent going there's no way i'm going to make it down alive and jeff my friend was circling around me like a vulture screaming encouragement at me if you can scream encouragement he was doing that and he was letting me know how to do it and the technical advice. And one of the last things he said to me was, Chris, just go. The worst thing that can happen is you crash at the bottom. And I'm like, that's great advice. And I went. And I got to the bottom. And I didn't crash. And I screamed because the adrenaline was pumping through my veins. I screamed things that I couldn't say from stage. But I screamed because I was alive. I remember this moment. On Slick Rock where the temperature was soaring over 105, 110 degrees. It was so hot. And one of the guys had miscalculated his water supply. And we were rationing water. And uh, we found ourselves kind of sitting in this little uh, cave indention area blo- that was blocked from the sun. And we we're having the conversation about how much water, how many miles was left, how we were all going to make it out alive. It was intense. But we were together, I think, about riding on porcupine Rim. And uh, one of the best riders of the group, he, he was a phenomenal mountain bike rider. And uh, he comes flying down the single track. I happened to be ahead of him. And I watched him hit a rock and do an indo over his bike. And after I realized he was okay, I laughed and laughed. Because it was hilarious that he did that and not me. <laughs> I think about the two-day ride around the White Rim Canyon. We did almost 100 miles in two days. And I think about these grueling ascents up these mountainsides. And uh, it was amazing as we all were riding kind of together and one person would kind of pass you and as they would pass you, they would just speak encouragement. You got it, just keep going, just keep going. As I would pass someone, I would say, keep going. And we would encourage each other up these massive ascents. I think about this moment where we literally uh, uh, were trying to get the Hummer around this mountain bend and we all were scared to death that the Hummer was going to go over the side of the cliff. I mean, losing a mountain bike over the side of a cliff is one thing. Losing a Hummer over a side, that's a bad scenario, especially when you're in the middle of nowhere. And we all helped guide this Hummer around this turn. Think about the evening camping at night as we just sit around a campfire, watching the moon and just having a conversation about the day. You see... We got to experience amazing things, but it was about doing it together. It's about those relationships. And every time I think about Moab, I think about this group of guys that got to experience this together. And you you see, it's the power of the church. It's about people. You see, there's a distinction between going to church and being the church. A massive distinction between the two. You see, when you're focused on just going to church, it's about checking a box. Oh, I did that. Okay, I can go on my week. It's just like I got my workouts done. I I played golf. I went to church. I've checked those boxes. But being the church is about shifting how you look at life and how you live your life. Going to church is about consuming. You walk into this room. And you find your chair. Oh, yes, you have your chairs, don't you? This is what I suggest. Next week, walk in and sit somewhere different. People will stare at you. They might even ask you to move. Don't do that. That's bad. And you walk, you sit down, and you have an hour where you consume. And you have thoughts like this. Oh, man, I love that worship song. Or, man, I hate that worship song. Oh, I love that announcement person. No, I don't like that person. Oh man, that special was awesome. I love that song. Or what song was that? I wouldn't have done that song. Who chose that song? Man, that 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 preacher guy, I love what he said, or man, he has no clue. You can consume and you leave. You see, being the church is about being an active participant where you realize it's not just about what you want, what you need, what you like, but what the whole needs and what the everyone needs you see if I would design church on based on what I like if I would sit down and just script hey an hour service based on Chris Truthaway what I like you know what this hour would look like it'd be 58 minutes and I'm not overstating 58 minutes of worship of singing it's my number one pathway to God I feel the closest I feel connected with God through worship And for some of you right now, you're like, right on, that would be amazing. For the vast majority of you, you're like, 58 minutes, that's a lot of singing. You thought the two songs this morning was a lot. You're like, ah, that would be too much. You see, we don't design the service around what I like, or what Charlie likes, or what anyone else likes. You see, the purpose of Renaissance Church is to be this bridge into culture, a bridge into the community. Because what we know is this, there's many, many, many people in our local community that have stopped going to church and we want to be a bridge where someone can walk back in and experience church differently i had a guy several weeks ago after our saturday night service walk up to me and he was blown away he was trying to articulate what he just experienced and you see he had been in church for 20 30 years and he walked up to me he goes man is this really a church and i'm like yeah, and I found myself trying to convince him, and he said it very positively, but he couldn't get his his mind around what he just experienced, and we're like, yeah, that renaissance is just different. We, we don't want to be like all the other churches you've experienced because we feel like church should be different. You see, we don't build this church around what I like. You see, being the church, it's truly about Relationally coming in and connecting. Is this place perfect? No, and I say this a lot. So many times people put 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 the church and people in the church at this unreachable pedestal. Now, should we be different than other places? Yeah, we should be different. But definitely we're not perfect. And we're not going to be perfect because we all are messy individuals. You see, we we all are created. We're all created as relational beings, very different, but we're all created for, for relationships. For some of you, uh, you're an extrovert. You love to be around people. You can't get enough from people. You're always uh, connecting and, and, and relating with people, and, and it, just, it feeds you. For others of you, you're an introvert like me. And your relationships are just vastly different. And whenever I share with people that I'm an introvert, the natural response is like, no way, you can't be. You're talking in front of all these people, and you're always connecting. I'm like, "You don't, but you don't understand what feeds me isn't masses of people. I started reading a book. It's on the New York uh, uh, Times bestsellers list. Last week, it was number three. And the title of the book uh, is Quiet, but the, it's the tagline that, kind of caught my attention the tagline says, says this the power of introverts in a world that can't stop talking and I just and so I'm making my way through it and it's amazing as I make my way through this book it's just articulating so many things that I've thought or I felt or I've processed before I'm like oh okay I, I'm not uh the odd man out in this this is just how I'm Wired, But still, within my introvert nature, I'm still a very relational being. You go back to the creation story. Genesis chapter 1. And what's interesting, what happens is in the first 25 verses, is the creation of the heavens and the earth, and the separation from the water and the land, and the light and the dark, and the creation of the animals. So you see this creation Uh, story unfolding. And the first 25 verses, it's all singular when referring to God. But something happens in verse 26. When God goes to create mankind, human beings, it goes from singular to plural. The Bible writes this. It says that, uh, let us, referring to God, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. You see, in verse 26, it switches to plural. That God's a plurality. You might have heard this word before, the Trinity. And uh, simply the Trinity, stands for triune or three in one. And for thousands of years, philosophers and theologians have debated and talked about this whole concept of God being one person but yet three. Being one God but yet three very distinct individuals within this Godhead. You have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we see them all kind of come together uh, in Matthew when Jesus is being baptized. You see God the Son being baptized. And then you hear God's voice, God the Father, speak from heaven. And then you see God the Spirit uh, uh, descend like a dove. This concept is throughout the whole Bible. And you see God within himself is in relationship within himself. He's in community within himself. And then you think about verse 26 of Genesis 1, where we were created in his image, in his likeness. We were created as relational human beings. And you think about that. Some of the top moments of your life have been around relationships. But also some of the most intense, dark moments of your life surrounded by centered around relationships just who we are we're relation, relational beings and that's why there's a big difference between going to church and being the church being the church is focused on relationships about connection not just about ourselves but about the whole and I'm not just talking about the whole within this room, but the whole of the community, the culture in which we, in which we connect into. So today we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, and uh, if your Bibles turn there, if you're using U Version, uh, you can go there, or also uh, if you you have your smartphone, you can go to RenaissanceChurch.org, click on U Version Live, and you can follow along with me and have all of these verses. But we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. And, and the author of Hebrews uh, does a, a phenomenal job in these few verses, really kind of wrapping up this entire road series. Kind of brings it all together. But there's uh, three statements that he's going to kind of give us, or three directives. And within these three directives, he starts off each one of them the same way with two words, let us. If you get nothing else today out of today, get this, let us. It's about us together. In all of our differences, in all different uh, uh, kind of spots on our spiritual journeys, I get that all of us are different places and we process differently and we think differently and we come from different contexts and different places, different backgrounds. But let us together, the power of us, not individuals. So he's going to jump into this first one in verse 22. And he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with a full assurance that Faith brings you think about this whole idea of drawing near to god and god and notice that he he uh says with a sincere heart he doesn't say with a perfect heart or with a sinless heart he says with a sincere heart or a genuine heart see god wants us just like we are to have a relationship with him for some of you this is a huge struggle because you think god wants you to be perfect you look at yourself, you look at what well, the decisions you have made or you are making now, and you literally think, how in the world could God love me or God want a relationship with me or God want me near to him? Look at my life now. Look at what I'm doing. Chris, if you knew the decisions I've been making in the dark corners of my heart, there's no way God would desire to have a relationship with me. God desires to have a relationship with you just like you are right now because he already knows what's going on. He already knows the decisions you're making or not making. He knows what you think of him already. He just wants you to have a relationship with him with this sincere, with a genuine heart. Just come to him and say, God, you know me. This is who I am. This is where I, I find myself in life right now. And that's what God wants from you. But then it goes on in Hebrews, and I think it's interesting because it's almost like the author is processing this thought himself, but he's probably been in in conversations with people. He adds this to it. He goes, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from from guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. There's these two ideas of the first one of our hearts being sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. This whole idea... It goes back to uh, if you were a Jew or if you converted to Judaism, you would have to bring an animal and sacrifice that animal. And that animal sacrifice would cleanse you from your sin. It was just part of the ritual or part of the life that they would lead. And what happened was when Jesus came, when he died on the cross, he was the last sacrifice. His blood covered all people, all sin for all time. And so there's this whole idea of saying, hey, if you've turned and if you've trusted Christ, his blood has covered your sin. His grace has wiped your sin out. He has forgiven you. So through Jesus Christ, you can have a relationship with God the Father. Through Jesus Christ, dying on the cross. He's built the bridge. So to draw close to God requires Jesus. But he's done everything. You don't have to do anything. And then he talks about your body being washed. And it's this whole image of baptism. We're in, in the New Testament time, baptism was this whole idea where it's this, Public declaration of the inward transformation. Where when you turned and trusted Christ, that that was inward, that was spiritual, that was within your heart. But baptism became this public declaration to associate yourself with Christ, with His death, burial, and resurrection. You see, baptism, when you go underneath the water, it's like your death burial, and then when you come out of the water, you're a new person. That you rise to a brand new life. Now are you perfect? No. Are you going to get it all straight? No. Are you going to have issues? Yes. Are you going to have moments of doubt? Yes. But it's this association with understanding that when you accept Christ, it changes you from the inside out. And the author is saying, guess what? To draw near to God. Realize that jesus he's the vehicle to do that it's him it's him it goes on the next let us statements is this let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful you think about this word hope back in december we did this series called hope rising and uh I, I spent a lot of time talking about this word hope, where the word hope in our culture, in our context, we always use it kind of, there's a percentage attached to it. For instance, uh, baseball season is starting, and uh, I'm an avid Chicago Cubs fan. I'm not sure why, uh, but I still am. And uh, I'm hoping uh, for this season, not that they would make the, the playoffs, because that's not going to happen. I'm hoping that they will at least get over 500 one game over 500 i'm hoping for that if you want me to put a percentage on that i give about 12 percent chance that they'll get over 500. i'm about ready to start uh uh uh, playing golf again and uh i tell you if you a few of you have golfed with me before and i'm hoping that my golf game gets better and if you've golfed with me before you know that that's that's a huge possibility because it can't get worse I'm horrible, but last season, I got the bug, and I'm like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait, so I'm hoping that my golf game improves, and I think there's a good chance because, again, it it, it can't get worse. You see, the word hope in the Bible isn't a percentage of what might happen or what you uh, think might occur. It's this expectation that it will happen. It will occur. And you you go back and you think about it. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope. That word unswervingly literally uh, means that there's an object that's standing up straight. And it won't move from perpendicular. It won't move. And here's what I know. There's a lot of outward forces trying to move your faith. From perpendicular. You know, tomorrow you walk into an office and you have a boss that just is emotionally taking everything out of you. And all you can think about is the next five days. How am I just going to make it through? And spiritually, it's wreaking havoc on you. For you, it might be a, a spouse where you're moving spiritually and your spouse isn't for whatever reason. They don't want anything to do with God. They don't want anything to do with church. They're, they're fine with just going, not being the church, whatever it might be for your context. And that's just a, a daily, daily force trying to move you off center. Maybe it's an addiction that has its talons just dug into you and it's causing your faith to swerve. Maybe it's a past. Maybe it's how you're raised, who your parents were or weren't. And it's causing your, your faith to swerve, whatever that might be. It says, hey, hey, let us. Because you see, the power is the let us. Because all of us, there's times where we need other people to help us stand up straight. All of us have times where emotionally we have nothing left or spiritually we have nothing left. There's, there's times where all of us need other people to help us through this life. And that's why let us is so important in helping each other on our spiritual journey. For he who promised is faithful. See, that's the hope. That what God has promised to do, he will do. What God has promised to deliver, he will deliver. What God keeps reassuring us about, he will show up. That God is faithful. It might not be in our timing. It might not be in the way we want him to show up, want him to deliver, want him to give. But he is always faithful. And that God wants us to draw near to him. Then we jump, jump into this last let us. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. That word spur literally means to irritate one another. Isn't that a great, great word? Today, I give you full permission to walk out of here, look at a friend, look at, at your spouse and say, Hey, I'm going to irritate you today, but it's okay because the guy on stage says I can the Bible says I can. But think about this whole thought. And let us consider how we may irritate one another. You see, the word irritate creates motion. It, it forces you to notice something. You know, one small little irritant in a clamshell produces such a beautiful, fine pearl. The whole idea of working out is about tearing down muscle to build it Stronger. But it's not just to irritate someone for the sake of irritate someone. It's to irritate someone to love and good deeds. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, if you've ever attended a wedding before, you've probably heard uh, a pastor or priest use this. It's called the love chapter. And uh, there's this list of what love is and what love isn't. And you, you kind of back up and you kind of look at this list. is this amazing list. But for us, so many times, love is just an emotion where if you feel like it, you love. And if you don't feel like it, you don't love. And love comes and goes and comes and goes depending on how you feel. But in the Bible, love is dramatically different. See, love isn't just an emotion. There's an emotional uh, part, component to love. But love is a verb. It's an action. And we are, as we are being the church, are to irritate each other to love in action. And you think about this. There's moments where I'm sure you're listening to a friend and they're keeping records of wrongs and they're telling you, how this person has hurt them and what this person has done. And there's a healthy place to be able to have that type of conversation. But we all know it goes from a healthy conversation to a very unhealthy conversation. The Bible says, hey, when it goes from a healthy just conversation, helping this person through an intense relational situation and goes unhealthy, you need to irritate them to say, hey, stop in your mind with a whiteboard, writing tally marks on what this person has done to you. Stop. It doesn't keep records of wrong. So who do you have in your life that you have allowed to irritate you? We all need those people. I have a few people in my life that they know. It's an open door. They can say anything to me. So if they see me doing something that doesn't honor God, if they hear me say something that doesn't reflect God's heart, if they see something in my life, they can irritate me. And guess what they do? And I hate it at first, right? Because irritating isn't fun. It doesn't make you feel warm and fuzzy, but it always produces great results. So who do you have in your life that you're irritating someone to love? And who are you irritating? You see, he ends this whole list of love action words with the simple statement, love action never fails it doesn't now our definition of love fails our consumeristic mindset of love fails our selfish inward view of love fails our emotionally driven view of love fails but god's love never fails his unconditional love never fails his perfect love never fails And the bar that we should set for loving people should be God's bar, not our bar or someone else's bar, but it should be God's. That's the standard. That's the standard. And then he finishes out this thought by saying this. Not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. To meet together. Weekend service is just one aspect of being the church. It's not the end all be all. It's why we have men's groups and women's groups and couples groups and young moms groups. and We have the project. And we have a lot more over the, the, the coming months that we're going to be rolling out. Because we don't think the weekend service is the end all be all to church. It's not being the church. It's one aspect. But I want to encourage you. It's important. To commit to coming to church it's how we connect together it's such an important part this is such important foundation of a christian life so we look at these three let us statements let us draw near to god see that's where it starts why the Bible is so important it's how you know God and know what God wants for you and from you it's not about being a theologian it's not about that it's about getting into the Bible and allowing it to be your roadmap your GPS and you see it's something about you doing that by yourself but it's also about bringing other people along with you and together you growing in your spiritual journey. You see, I think about where I've grown in my spiritual journey and there's a list of names of people that have been so significant helping me grow, even to this day. And let us hold unswervingly. We need each other to remain straight And not move from perpendicular. We need other people to help as we start swerving in our faith. Because there's these outward and inward forces trying to force us to swerve in our faith. We need other people to come beside us. We need people to help speak into us. And help us work through the the, the tensions and the frustrations and the doubts and the questions. And the sin in all of our lives. We need people to help us stand straight. It's not weakness. It's how God created us to be. And let us irritate each other. To put love into action and to serve people. Let us be a church that loves differently than the culture says love is. Let us be a church that loves people enough to have great life conversations with people. Let us love each other in a way where we serve each other. Let us love. And you see, that's the difference of Renaissance Church. We're committed to loving all people wherever they find themselves in their spiritual journey, whether they believe in God or they don't believe in God, whether, whether, you, whether you think that Jesus Christ is the son of the living God or not. Whatever you think, however you're processing, whatever your background is, wherever you find yourself at today, guess what? You're loved and welcomed and accepted. Because you see, love never fails.